Oh, man, I'm, I'm really excited, like I said, if you can't tell, just to be able to open up the word with you guys. But before that, I just want to let you know, like I said, my name is Gage Henry, and um, I'm married. I have a wife named Shelby. She's over here. She usually gets that response when I introduce her. I don't. Um, and I also have a son named Griffin, who, yeah, he's all right. He turns one this week. Yeah, so learning how to parent. I'm an expert. Let me just tell you. Still figuring it out, um, but that's our family. And this series for us has been a game changer. Honestly, like the way we've been talking about this idea of the remnant, and that's our series, it's this group that remains, and we've been praying that for our family. What does it mean for us to be the remnant that Jesus is building? And so what the whole series is all about is this idea that, you know, the disciples are hearing Jesus teach them on the side of a mountain and the masses are listening in. So it's not like as the churches grow and as our church expands, we didn't want to become that church that catered to the masses and drowned out the remnant. We wanted to continue to speak to the remnant and invite the masses in. So that's what this whole series has been about. It's been about how do we, as disciples of Jesus, live out a faith that is real? What does it mean for us to have a vibrant prayer life? What does it mean for us to look different in the world around us? And so last week, if you missed it, you got to go back because it's actually the full context of what I'm going to be talking about today. But we learned about these, these eyes that we're supposed to fix on heaven. That it's almost like the way that Jesus was teaching was so radical to the people that are listening. It's this idea that like, if you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And if you pray, make sure you don't just like, babble on like the pagans. Make sure your heart posture is correct. And also, like, if you fast, like, rub some water on your face so that people can't tell you're fasting. And lastly, like, treasure in heaven. Like, what does it mean to live where you're, literally your treasure is in heaven? Because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So that's the context, this idea of this heart posture that we are supposed to have towards God. And today, what's funny is last week, Miles made this statement. He said, you know, the most unknowing way we are enslaved is through money. Like, I talked to so many college students who picked their major because of money. And all of our decisions in life are driven by actual, like, what we're going to make and our financial situation. And so today, we're going to jump back into that same context, not about money, but it's ironic because the thing I'm about to talk about, I think, is actually the way that all of us know we struggle the most in our faith. And it's prayer. Because we're going to go right back into the Lord's Prayer. And it's funny because even I was talking to Miles, and there's a statistic that came out that showed that churches that put the word prayer in their title are clicked on so much less on a YouTube video. It's because people don't want to hear it. They're like, don't stop preaching to me about prayer. I know I need to do it. Just move on. So what I'm going to do with you guys today is we're going to go into that. But I want to challenge some of you in your church history. Can you do that with me? We are going to say the Lord's Prayer together out loud right now. If you remember it, King James Version, say a King James Version. So Birmingham, everybody else, you can join us as well. We're going to say it together as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Gosh. Anybody play high school football? You remember when you'd get that prayer, like right before you'd go out to go like, play somebody, and then right after you'd be like, amen, your, cuss, your coach would literally like, cuss you out right after that. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, oh, beat their, mm. yeah, yeah, it's like, that's the moment that I think of is so funny to me 
Now, by the way, I was a chaplain one time for a middle school, high school, sorry, high school football team. And literally the, the coach would always be like, hey, Gage, I'm about to get him. Turn around. He literally made me turn around every time he cussed out a player. I'm like, I can still hear you. Like, <laughs> the Lord's Prayer. It's ironic because this is the thing that I would say is like, oh, I didn't know I knew that. And this is the prayer that Jesus actually teaches us how to pray. And, you know, for me, just some more prayer statistics because you need them. Um, number one is we, on average, as an engaged Christian, pray about 45 seconds a day. 30 of those are over a meal, typically. And this is not you guys, it's me too. 16% of pastors say that their prayer life is sufficient for the work they do. The average pastor in our American church prays about 30 minutes a day. Just, just as a reference point, it's not about this, but just as a, a reference point, you know, the Muslim prayer calendar, they pray five times a day for 10 to 15 minutes on average. Again, you can bend statistics different ways. The point is, is that God's not opposed to our effort. He's opposed to earning. And what's amazing is that we look at this, and I would say the Lord's Prayer has always been the Lord's Prayer. But in actuality, the Lord's Prayer is John 17. He prays that we might be one as believers. So what does that make this? This is actually what I would call the disciples' prayer. Us as disciples, this is how we are to pray. So this is our vision for the whole series. I'm going to put it on the screen. God, transform us from being consumers of Jesus' merit to being disciples of Jesus' way. So today for me, it's so much more than me just telling you to pray. It's so much more than me trying to convince you to pray. We, we learned earlier as, as a church in our view series that preaching moves people, but prayer moves heaven. So I want us today to collectively move heaven. I want us to enter into God's presence, understand what it means to actually talk to God and have him talk back to us. Because I, can, I believe that that's the transforming work that all of us so long for and so desire. So when I was thinking about this week, what's funny is that I was thinking about how to like, you know, do this. And I was thinking about prayer and I was thinking about so many different challenges. And I was like, God, I don't even know what to talk about in prayer. I don't know what, what do you want me to say? And I felt like he wanted to start with me. And he looked at, not looked at me, but in, in my mind, he looked at me and he said, do you actually want me to rule your life? Do you want me to have all the control? Because the way that you talk to me is usually you trying to harness my power for your purposes, or the way you talk to me is you're trying to rule over me. You're trying to get me to do what you want me to do. And I felt like this is, I'm like, that is it for us today. The challenge that I feel like so many of us have, it's not a prayer problem. It's a control problem. It's the fact that we want to stay in control of everything, so we're afraid to let God in to the deepest corners of who we are. And so John Mark Comer, who's a guy we follow a lot, he says this statement, I think it'd be helpful for you. He says, we want the kingdom without the king. We want the kingdom without the king. We want everything that God has to offer, but we just don't want to make sure that Jesus is the throne of our heart. And so I just want to do an exercise with you before we keep going and see if you can indulge me in this. I heard this when I was in college, and I think it'd be helpful for you. There was a pastor at a conference, and he said, hey, I want you to picture right now heaven. I want to picture you walking up to heaven, the gates of heaven. I want you to think about everything that you could ever want is inside. I want you to think about the car you want, the house you want, the family you want, the spouse you want, all the money you could ever imagine. And guess what? You get to go in there and you get to live there forever. The only catch is Jesus isn't there. Do you go in? You can have everything you want and you'll live there forever. But it means that you 
won't have Jesus. And he said, the answer to that question will tell me everything I need to know about your prayer life. Because if you do not believe that knowing Jesus is actually eternal life, then you are just going to continue to try to consume his merit to get your own way. And so this is this convicting me. I'm thinking like, I don't, God, I want you to rule my life. I don't want to try to rule you. You're God. I'm not. It's better that way. So the title of this sermon, if you want to take notes, the title of this sermon is Inviting God's Rule. Inviting God's Rule. So my vision for this time is that we would stop thinking of God as just a part of our life. And we'd start realizing that we actually are part of his life. That he is life himself, John 5, 26. And so if you need the, the like, some, you know, I didn't just make this up, by the way. If you need some, like, Bible verses to help you out, Colossians 3.3 says this. I'm going to put it on the screen. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That means you're a part of his life now, not later. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, Jesus said, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you will bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. God does not exist to solve our problems. We exist to glorify God and partner with him to put the world back together. And so when I'm looking at this and I'm thinking about, what does it mean to invite God's rule into my life? I feel like it means giving over control. And it begins with the Lord's Prayer. So it's funny. Um, I don't know if you have a lot of experience in like prayer groups or going out and praying, but my first job in ministry, I was a middle school um, intern. Uh, I was 22, went out to Texas, was at this church, and they said, hey, I have this great plan for you. You're going to be with middle schoolers. It's going to be great. And it was fun and challenging at the same time. And we're there, and they're like, hey, we have this awesome goal as a church. We want to pray for every single member of our community. Like, go and pray for every single member. And so as I'm like thinking about that, I'm like, that's an amazing goal. I'm with middle schoolers. I don't want to lose them in the streets, okay? So we have to go, like literally, we went neighborhood by neighborhood, and we would take these groups, we would knock on doors, and we'd ask them if they need prayer for anything. And so, of course, I have my like five ragtag group of kids, and I'm like, let's just go together and just say, please don't mess this up, you know, like, I'll keep you safe. And so we're walking up, and the first house, literally, I kid you not, we're like walking up, and I'm like getting my courage ready, you know, just to say something, and literally, I see a lady like kind of come out the screen door. She's like, nah, not today, not today. He goes, y'all came yesterday. Keep going. Keep going. It's like, okay, Jalen, let's keep going. So on to the next house, and, you know, no one answers. And finally, the third house. We get to the third house, and I'll never forget, the door opens. And first of all, a smell hits me, similar to a skunk, if you know what I mean. And this smell hits me, and I see the guy walk up, and he is looking disheveled. It's like 4 p.m. in the day, and he's wearing pajamas. And he begins to tell me, I'm like, hey, uh, do we need prayer? need prayer for anything? And he says, yeah, and he begins telling us his whole life story about how he's in and out of rehab and how he's struggling. And I mean, literally, he was like, I'm still living with my parents. I can't find a job. Like, he's going on and on and on. I'm like, oh, man. So then I, like, do the thing where I look at Jalen, and he looks at me like a confident seventh grader, and he's like, I got this. I got this. Let me do it. I'm like, oh, Lord. So I'm like, can we pray for you? Okay, bow your heads. We bow our heads. And I kid you not, I'll never forget it. Jalen proceeds to say, Lord, help this man get his life together. <laughs> I like lean up with one eye and I see the guy, we make eye contact and I'm like, lean it back down, you know. 
And that man got his life together. His name was Miles Fidel. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, he's not here to defend himself right now, so. But I love that prayer of Jalen, to be honest. Because prayer is really about praying to God where you are, and your prayer is just as you are. There's nothing like fancy about it. As C.S. Lewis likes to say, he always says, pray as you are, not as you ought to be. Pray who you really are. Jalen was praying himself into that prayer, and it was, it was powerful. I always think about that. It was so real and raw. And so before we get into that, I just want to challenge you in this moment. We're going to read the Lord's Prayer again. But I want to challenge you in this moment to not just hear it again and not just think about it as you used to think about it, but really be in the moment. So if you have your Bible, hold it up. Since we're having a ton of fun about different church traditions, this is the Bible drill I chose to do today. If you know what an unspoken prayer request is, keep your Bible up. Everybody else turn to Matthew chapter 6. Oh, unspoken's out there, Sunday school. All right, everybody turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. All right, I guess I got to explain what unspoken is now to everyone else. Unspoken is when you go around the circle and you would just be like, you have something, but you don't want to share it. So you'd say, I have an unspoken. And then all your friends after would say, me too. I have an unspoken too. It's just a way to not have to be honest. It's great. Hopefully you've gotten there by now. And since we're going with all the church traditions, I just want to challenge everybody to stand up for the reading of the word. Come on. Birmingham Lake Martin, stand up. It's going to be fun. And we're going to read the NIV version. I know King James, some of you want that, but it's the one on the screen that most of us have. So this then has how you should pray. And we're going to say it as we read it. We're not just going to read it on the page. We're going to say it. Ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. You guys can be seated. And I know your King James Version says, for thine is the kingdom, power, glory, and forever. That was actually added on by the church. They're like, it can't end on the evil one. Like, we got to add some other stuff to it. Just so you know. That's why it says that. So it's amazing that we just got to do that together because the communion of saints have been doing that for 2,000 years in the church. And just I got to speak to young people really quick, side tangent, that we can't privatize our religion. What I mean by that is I think a lot of us, uh, a pastor friend we follow says a lot of the young people are actually more like Christian Buddhists, meaning they're on their individualized search for enlightenment and they use the teachings of Jesus they want to use, but they don't use all the teachings or are obedient to what he says that's hard. And so a lot of us have actually chosen to follow this version of God that God is, is not even that God. It's not even who he is in the Bible. And so I just want to tell you, when we do things like this, when we actually have sacraments and communion and the church comes together and the people of God worship together, what happens is it eliminates the possibility of us making God in the image we want him to be. Because we have actual community to hold us accountable. So, all right, tangent done. Okay, <laughs> let's read it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So I want you to notice three things really quick about prayer, just to start. Number one, prayer is communal. Notice how he says our every single time, or us. There's no me or mine throughout this prayer. 
Meaning that it's not just about you. I feel like when we pray selfishly, we end up hearing selectively. Because what happens is, is that we really want to hear what we want to hear. So like, you know your friend that comes to you is like, God told me I'm going to marry him. <laughs> and you're like, why? It's like, oh, it was raining outside and there's a rainbow and great is the faithfulness of God. And you're like, I was thinking about him, so we're going to get married. He's like, he doesn't know your name. Like, it's probably not the one. Because we start hearing what we want to hear. And so we need to orient our life around God, not ask God to be a part of ours. And so that's what it means. It's communal. And the second one is familial. Our prayer is familiar. Our Father. This is radical. This is like a mic drop moment for Jews. Because Jewish tradition would say, you cannot say that. He is Lord. He is God. He is holy. He is other. So the fact that you can say Father, Abba, Father, is not possible. But what's happening is Jesus saying, no, it's intimate. And Gentiles are also welcomed, and they're part of the family too. In fact, Aramaic is another language that Jesus spoke. And when he would pray this prayer, he would say, Abba, Wun which means father and womb, speaking to mother and father creator, because he's not a gender. He is other. We are made in his image alike. He knit us together in our mother's womb. It's like saying, the creator, I know him. Which is why the third thing is that prayer, we've talked about this before, is about relational friendship and reverent fear and the collision of those two. So so, it's so mind-blowing to me, honestly, that Timothy talks about how God dwells in unapproachable light. In Isaiah, you hear about the fact that literally angels would cover their faces and their feet with their wings and say, holy, holy, holy. And also, like, in Revelation, it talks about how, like, in his throne, there's, like, thunder and lightning going forth and out. And you and I, because of the blood of Jesus, get to walk up to that throne and say, Dad. Hey, Dad. I was talking to you, and this happened in my life. And, and he listens to us. So this is reverent fear that we can have for the holiness of God. But there's this relational friendship that he's inviting us into. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Let me revere your name. So uh, I have a confession to make. Uh, I actually don't like my name. I know, it's sad. (laughs) Sorry, Mom. Um, But the reason why is my name, I remember growing up, it means pledge or commitment. And I also like, living in Alabama, I just gotta be honest, I have the same conversation. It's Gage. Gabe, no, no, it's gauge. You're like a 12-gauge. No, I don't own a 12-gauge. I know I live in Alabama, and I should have a 12-gauge. It's like the same conversation I have with everybody. I never really liked my name. And growing up, I never understood really like why that was my name. And then when I was 22, I was wrestling with my dad. He didn't want me to go into ministry. You're not going to make any money. He really just asked me hard questions because his dad was a minister. And he was wrestling with me. He's wrestling with me. Finally, I was like, Dad! I know this is what God has called me to do. I know it. I'll pay for it. I'll do whatever it takes. I'm moving to Texas, and I'm going to seminary. And he gets super awkward on the phone. And he kind of like almost starts choking up to you. I'm like, you okay? And he says, hey, I never wanted to tell you this. But I feel like this is the time for me to tell you this. He said, you know, your mother and I lost our first two babies. So when you were born in the hospital and you were a healthy baby, I was holding you, and I felt God's presence so closely in the room to me that I just said, God, I commit him to you. I pledge him to you. He said, just so you know, you telling me that was an answered prayer I prayed 22 years ago. You know who loves his name now? (laughs) This guy. (laughs) 
What's amazing is all of us have different names. The names that you have are taken to reality that you live. That's what the biblical phrase was. That's why names mattered so much. What's amazing is that we all, at the end of this day, have one name as our story headline, Jesus. At that name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And so if you think about it, hallowed be your name, and this is where all of a sudden heaven collides with earth. Because right after that, what does he say? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think this is the, really the crux of all of it because it's the collision of like the reality of heaven meeting with the needs that we have here on earth. And what I think is so cool here is that we love the idea of Jesus like up there dying on the cross but don't like him getting like in our lives and getting messy with us. But this prayer, what it really is saying, your kingdom come, your will be done. What it's saying is let what's true about heaven become true what's here now and now. So what that means is it's like, hey, what's in heaven? No sickness, no pain, no suffering, no divorce, no adultery. No, all these things are not in heaven. No envy, lust, greed, you name it. None of that's in heaven. So what do you do? You say, I pray for that to happen here on earth. That's how simple it is. And so when you get the opportunity to do that, that's what it means. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I got to talk about our earth for a second and the culture of today. Because the culture of today says there's like a soft acceptance of everything, but like no deep conviction in anything. And like, just so you know, I'm part of this generation, but everybody my age and younger, we're literally raised to think that skepticism is a virtue. Like that our feelings actually dictate truth instead of absolute truth. So we don't want to submit to anything. And that's the culture we live in. And then you combine it with our personalities. You combine it with the fact that a lot of us in this room, if we're really honest, we think all of our feelings. You know what I mean? Like I feel numb to God all the time. Because I'm constantly thinking, like, I know you're there, but are you there? I can't really tell. Should I feel something? On the flip side of that, we have our personalities of people who feel all of their thoughts. You're like, by lunchtime, you're like, God doesn't love me. You know, like, we have these two realities. They're combining with the fact that our culture tells us there's no absolute truth. So what happens is that we ask questions like, God, where are you? You ever wonder why God doesn't answer your prayer? You ever wonder? Theologians call it the purifying silence. It's purifying because, one, it eliminates the possibility of you being able to control God. See, because if God's just my puppet or he's just my genie, I just got to rub the right way. Or like, sorry, I was just thinking, that was a Christina Aguilera reference without meaning to. And genie, or you think about like your vending machine where you put in the right code and then you get what you want. Like when you begin thinking about that, what happens? We lose sight of who God really is. I can't get past that. In my head, I heard it as I was saying it. Um, but when we begin to think about God that way, there's a, holy, there's, like a, there's a holy ability for him to remind us of who he really is. And he will actually purify every version of God that's not him. Yes. He'll lay waste every foundation. Yes. So like I ask college students all the time in my role, I said, do you worship Jesus or do you worship certainty? Do you worship Jesus or do you worship your security and your future? Do you worship Jesus or are you just trying to make sure that your life turns out okay? Because guess what? Chasing passion won't get you there. Chasing obedience, full life there. Amen. So, so many of us, I just want to challenge you. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. It's the first need we have. If you want to think about this prayer in a helpful way, the last three are needs, and they're physical, relational, and spiritual. It talks about your daily bread. So my favorite verse on this section is Proverbs 30, verse 8. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. 
So I love this, that what the, what's being said right here is that don't make me so rich or I don't need you. And don't make me so poor or I disobey you. Just give me enough for today. And I was thinking about this week that I would be upset at God if he only gave me enough bread for today. I don't know about you, like I would literally be upset. I'd be like, oh my goodness, we have nothing to eat. And I look at my pantry and it's full of snacks. Like, I think that all the time. But what is really happening here is it's our ability to say, today I have God who has the provision. Today I have God who has what I need. Your physical needs. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. So number two, relational need. It talks about forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. We learn later in verse 14, he continues to talk about that God won't even forgive you until you forgive others. He talks about this weird thing that happens where we have in our heart this ability to hold on to being offended. A pastor or follower says, the offense is an event. Offended is your decision. Amen. And so like, it's not forgetting, but it's not letting the memory of what happened run your life. And it's also the very thing that Jesus was most known for saying, love your enemies, forgive your enemies. And so there's this powerful story that I heard in Spain. I wasn't in Spain. It happened in Spain. And there's this powerful story that happens where there's this guy, father and son. They become estranged. And the son goes away. And the father does everything he can to go find him. Finds out that he's in Madrid. When he's in Madrid, he doesn't know what to do. So he says, dear Paco, sorry, dear Paco, meet me at the newspaper stand here at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you. Signed, your father. And on Saturday, when the father walks up to the newspaper stand, there are 800 Pacos standing there waiting. And the story is meant to illustrate the fact that our deepest longing in our soul is forgiveness and love. And so I don't know where you're at today with that. But I know that a lot of us in this room, me included, There's somebody torturing our life who doesn't even know it. The person you won't forgive. And then he ends with a spiritual need. Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The better way to read this part, by the way, is, Lord, may there be nothing in me that will force you to put me to the test in order to reveal what is in my heart. The idea that God does not tempt you. Satan tempts you. So what does it mean by leading don't lead us into temptation. He's really talking about trials and circumstances. And so what he's saying is like, pray for that not to happen. You want to pray against cancer in your family. You want to pray against things that the darkness, the enemy has actually wired for us to try to walk away from God through. But this is where he's saying, lead us not into temptation. Jesus says that literally the gates of hell won't prevail over his church. What I love about that, by the way, is that gates don't like move. It means the kingdom of light is advancing because you only beat against the gate. The gate can't come after you. So I love that the idea that, man, deliver us from the evil one. God, I trust you. I trust you. So the heart of the teaching for today. You can write this down. This is uh, what I would say, the bread and butter, the whole point of all of this, to make Jesus your entire life, to be a part of his life, is this. Be in prayer what you are in life. Be in life what you are in prayer. Be in prayer what you are in life. Be in life what you are in prayer. And this is done by truly letting God rule your life.
This is done by opening up yourself enough to give him the deepest, darkest corners of your soul. And be the same person when you're sitting before Jesus and when you're talking to your friends. And so what I've seen in my life is when I begin to live this out, something happens. My life begins to transform a little bit because my visible surroundings are actually me getting to experience the rule of heaven in my friendship with Jesus. So if this is true, if I can be the exact same person, and if life is truly found in my relationship with Jesus, what that means is you can actually grow spiritually. Spiritual transformation, according to Dallas Willard, who's the guy who's written Divine Conspiracy, and a lot of this series has actually come from his writings, he talks about it in three ways. He talks about it in the fact of disciplines, like where do you create space for God to move and speak? Bible reading, praying, meditation, solitude. He talks about it as continual interaction. That's the second part, where you're listening to the Spirit move you. You're saying, I feel the joy right now. Are you, you telling me to go do that? Are you? And you're constantly aware of his presence. And the last thing is through patient endurance and circumstances. That's the triangle of what spiritual transformation looks like. Creating space for God to speak and staying faithful when he does. Staying obedient to him alone. So I got two real quick points and then actually I just want to pray with you guys. So first point is this, relinquish control. So this prayer that we've been reading is what the Jewish people would call the Shema prayer, which is I am going to obey before you say it. It's declaring that obedience. It's actually the first thing that they whisper in newborn's ears and it's the last thing they say when um, an elderly person is passing. It's like, this is the thing that they would say. And it's Deuteronomy 6. But this Shema prayer is like, God, I am on the edge of my seat, waiting to obey you. And so for me, it's like, even though my mom got diagnosed with cancer, even though they, the doctor said six months, I'm going to still keep praying. And guess what? It's been two years. Even though in my life, it feels like I have no control. I know it's better that way. It means maybe for you, maybe it means even though your parents don't understand why you'd want to go into ministry or why you'd want to go on missions, you can tell them it's because of God. I'm trying to be obedient to his voice. Even though some of us in this room literally cannot biologically get pregnant. I mean, saying, God, I know, I know you have a plan for me. I know you have a story for me. I know you have something for my life. Maybe that means adoption. Maybe that means foster care. Even though some of us in this room are so lonely, it means we still won't go back to the friendships that we had before because we know what road that's leading us down. It means that so many of us, as we decide to follow Jesus, it's not like I'll wait until I'll approve what you say. It's like, God, I'm willing to say yes to whatever. You said yes to me on the cross, so I'm gonna say yes back in obedience. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for my God is with me. So that's the, that's the opportunity. If relinquishing control is the first one. Radically obeying is the second one. Radically obey. This entire sermon is actually rooted in obedience. This entire thing is rooted in, hey, you know what it means to walk in the way of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus? It means you actually start obeying what he says to you. Revealed through his word, revealed through friends, revealed through people. And this will transform your life. And a little secret, just so you know, in my prayer life, what took it from just a list that I prayed to a life that I got to live was actually the Lord's Prayer. See, because this is a framework that Jesus has given us to be able to interact with him for longer than five seconds. It's a framework where you can pray for longer than an hour. I know it sounds crazy, 
You can pray for a long time, be ceaselessly in prayer by praying these things. So what I want to do with you guys right now is you can put your notes away and kind of make some room. But I felt like I could close with some story or I could close with something. And I felt like when I was praying to God this week, all he said back was, let me talk to them. Just let me talk to them. Stop trying to talk for me. And so what I'm going to do is actually I want to have an extended prayer time with you guys. This might be weird. This might be different. You might not want to do this. But I'm just challenging you. Lean in for just a second. Wherever you're at, whether you're watching online or you're in Birmingham, lean in for a second. And if you need to, you can even posture yourself. You want to be on your knees. But I'm just going to give you prompts and then give you space to talk to God. Because I believe that if nothing else happens, let's move heaven together today. Let's ask for him to move in power. So if you want to bow your head and close your eyes. So I want you to start by thinking of God as your father. What does that mean? Picture his arms full of love, embracing you. Hallowed be your name. You're a son, you're a daughter. He is your father. Hallowed be your name. Now talk to him. Tell him how holy he is. Tell him how good he is. Tell him what he's done for you. Ask him to search your heart. If there's any offensive way in you, ask him to show it to you. Search me, O Lord. Now declare your obedience. Say, your kingdom come, your will be done. Pray for what's true about heaven to be true in your life. Pray that he would speak in power to you from heaven. Open up about the needs that you have. Open up about the desires that you have. Ask him for forgiveness. Jesus said, repent and believe. The kingdom has come. Say the words, I'm sorry. Declare obedience over this time. Ask him to reveal the name or the people or the group that you need to forgive. Maybe it's your father, it's a friend, a coworker. Now ask him for the strength, the spiritual strength to have that conversation you need to have. 
Now in closing also, just pray to God. Your deepest desire in your soul. Ask him to fill it with his presence. So Father, I pray in this moment as a group of us offer ourselves authentically to you. Father, I pray that we would see the opportunity in front of us to submit to you. Father, I pray that in this moment we would not try to be a version of ourselves that we think you want. Father, I pray that we would pray from the deepest longing of our hearts. Father, I thank you that you redefine what it means to be a father. Father, I thank you that you're redefining stories. You're redefining futures. That God, I pray for the person in the room who's still trying to fit you into their life. I pray that they would have the opportunity to invite you in to rule. Father, you are above all else, our soul treasure. Make your name great in our lives. God, you're so good. We trust you, Jesus. We give you our worship because we believe it. So we fall down before you, God. We lay down everything that we think we own, we think we have, and we entrust it to you. So Father, pray for every person in this room and watching, God, you would speak now in this time of worship. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.